Hello and welcome to the Scuttlebutt Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Briggs, and this week marks 100 episodes of the Scuttlebutt Podcast. I appreciate you tuning in today. Normally, each week I sit down with a different guest to talk about what we can learn from them. This week is going to be a little bit different. I'm going to be recapping some of my highlights from the first 100 episodes of this show, as well as talking about some of the more potent lessons from those we've talked to along the way. So let's jump right in. There are four major takeaways that I had from specific individuals and like the collective group and those kind of subdivide into smaller issues. But the very first one that I want to start off with is the idea that purpose isn't found. It's something that's created over time. I had to look up what purpose actually meant for this when I went to write about it. Uh, Purpose is defined as the reason of which something is done or a sense of resolve or determination. It's interesting because when people talk about the military, they talk about the military giving them purpose. Like that's something that so many people say over time, but the catch there is that it's always in hindsight. Nobody says that I'm going to go and join the military to gain a sense of purpose. It's something that reveals itself or appears over time. When you reflect, you're able to see and understand the reason which something is done or perhaps the sense of resolve or determination to get get through something challenging. When you're doing things, particularly hard things, you develop natural likes, interests, and affinities and gravitate a certain direction based on the stimuli that you're given in life. And usually what I have found to be true is that your purpose usually resides in those things. It's something that is created and it's not something that you set out to go and find. The reason that this is important is because you don't need to actually have your life figured out, which seems like such a silly thing to say. I think that nobody would disagree with that, but you feel it, I think, as a young person. And I know that I did. I certainly felt as if I needed to have it figured out. That was a weight that weighed on me extremely heavily, especially getting out of the military as I'm feeling behind my peers. Look at the people who have accomplished so much more. Look at all of the things that they've done. My track is different. And that just really isn't the case. And part of what this podcast is about is exploring why the military sets people apart and why it uniquely positions them for success in the future. Get more to that later. But the main purpose is that you don't need to have your life figured out and it's okay. Life, careers, interests, the, all of those things are evolving and growing over time. When I think about what it is that you want to pursue in life, I think back to the discussion that every high schooler has. Is what do you want to be when you grow up? And naturally find some adults that are still trying to figure out what they want to be when they grow up. And that's okay. That's a good thing. That's a really good thing. The pressure that we put on young people and ourselves included is so disconnected from what reality is because you can be good at more than one thing. And a lot of times I think that there's a relationship between what we're good at and what our purpose is. Naturally, we're going to push towards that and enjoy the things that we're good at more. The fact that you can be good at more than one thing implies that you can have multiple different purposes and it's okay for that to be evolving over time. One of the through lines of this episode is going to be pushing the importance of action over time. When you take action, you create purpose. You slowly move your way down the chain of events to get you to unlocking that thing that magically will quote unquote give you purpose. When we talk about gaining purpose from the military, I look at a couple of past people that have been on the show. Don Reynolds and Dan Blackman are two people that come to mind, career military people. Getting out, I know for a fact that Don and Dan didn't join the service to gain a sense of purpose. They developed it over time. It just, they grew into roles and as career military people over time adapted and found the thing that actually gave them energy and gave them that sort of purpose. They both talked about the importance of giving back to the future leaders behind them 
training and developing them. And you can feel how heavy that weighs on them now. That is what I would call purpose. And I think a few years ago, and even up until somewhat recently, I don't think that I would have been able to acknowledge that. People have different things that give them energy. And it's okay if people have different interests than you. It's naturally, they're going to have a different purpose. And we're all on very different tracks. The only one that you need to be worrying about is your own. And that is what's most important. In the episode with Dan, we talked about senior military leaders giving junior troops shit about getting out. And look, the only responsibility that you have is to yourself. The military, if the military isn't your thing, it's okay. Fulfill your obligation honorably and move on. The people who are doing themselves the biggest disservice are those who recognize that they are in a job, an industry, or a career that is not suited to them and continue to choose to be there longer than they need to. It's something that I experienced in a big way, spending time in the military, the junior level, everybody's talking about how bad it is, but when it comes time for reenlistment, Nobody has a plan or is willing to take the leap to get out. And so naturally, oh, what's a couple more years while I figure it out, which ends up becoming 20 or maybe even more. It's not a bad thing to stay in the military. I, I don't advocate for that. We need people to do that. What I am an advocate for is people finding what their purpose is. And there are certain paths that just will not do that for you because everybody's different. The, the military is not everybody's path. Dan said that. He said, we run on an attrition model and that's good. That is okay. And I think that senior leadership should not be giving flack to junior people about getting out. If it's not your thing, like I said, get up and move out. But if it is, you should lean into it. And for some people, like I was saying with Don and Dan, they clearly develop that sense of purpose in the military over time. And you can find that in the most unsuspecting places. You do not want to be the person that spends a 20 year career or more doing something that you didn't want to do. That wasn't your purpose or your passion and wasn't moving you closer to that because you're going to look back and you're going to wish that you had done something different earlier. And it's not the safe option. I'll get into this a little bit later, but getting out of the military is scary. It's actually more difficult in my opinion than it is to stay in, but you need to be willing to move down the path that gets you closer to finding out what your thing is. Don and Dan both talked about the, the fun ratio and I pictured it as like a scale of being pulled away from your family and friends and kind of the lifestyle that you want to live. And then there's the military and there's this kind of ebb and flow in between the two. Some days the, the family is pulling harder and sometimes your desire to stay in the military is maybe stronger. So you need to figure out where your ratio is, whether it be the military, what, apply that to anything. Are you spending more of your time than not doing something that you gain fulfillment from? I was talking with somebody the other day who came over to our house and she said something that really stopped me in my tracks. She said, you can't work a job that you find purpose and fulfillment. Pausing there for a second, but what? a life to live if you have to live in a world where you couldn't do something that you enjoyed. And that's something about your life's work, something I will get into at the end of this, but you are perfectly able to get to a place where you're doing something that you enjoy. That is not an unattainable thing. It takes a long time to figure that out though. And so that's why small actions daily, weekly, yearly, moving towards that thing and, and uncovering that purpose over time is so important. Taking that example of the fun ratio uh, in a different context, there are very little things that are binary decisions. People talk about being in the military as a, are you going to do 20 or not? Which is absolutely the worst question that you could possibly ask. There are way more decisions at play 
there and, and way more influences to how we make decisions. And so try not to trap yourself in a box of thinking that there's only two ways out of a certain circumstance. There, there are a lot more. You just need to think about all of the options that are available to you. I think an important caveat to this line of thinking is to also acknowledge that things are hard and that just because something is difficult doesn't necessarily mean it's not for you. I know thinking about people like Dan and Don that have spent 20 plus years in the military, I know that they've experienced a lot of really hard days, but that doesn't take away from the fact that the, the purpose that they're uncovering because of that isn't stronger than those hard days. And so it's all a personal decision, but full disclaimer, just because something is hard does not mean it's time to quit. The second big idea from this first 100 episodes is that when a lot of ideas are possible, choose the one that you want to win at. When you consider the fact that all decisions in life aren't binary, yes, no, do 20 years or not do 20 years, there's a lot of ambiguity that's introduced into that. And so you have to acknowledge all of these different factors. And it's those factors that allow you to customize how your life looks in a very meaningful way. This is something that Michael Madrid called choosing your own adventure or deliberately designing the life that you want to live based on the interests that you have. Deciding how you want to spend your time is, is serious business. You can do anything that you want. The adage that we're told when we're young that you can go out and do anything is very true. I could go be in the NBA probably if I wanted to, but the amount of time that it would take for me to get there is likely more than that of somebody who was born seven feet tall. I unfortunately was not graced with that and I have chosen to apply my efforts elsewhere. I'm is the real and the ultimate governor on our outputs. So this leads to the question, how do you decide what you want to do or what actions you want to take to uncover that purpose as we were talking about? There are two inputs that I think that go into this. The first is that you want to play a game that has an outcome that you actually want. The second is to trial aggressively. So let's talk about both of these. The first, playing a game with an outcome that you want. A good exercise to consider when you're starting a new endeavor, a new job, picking up a new sport, looking at a potential career industry. You want to look at what does being successful in that thing look like? And I'm talking like hyper success. If it's a sport, are you going to go play at the Olympics? Are you going to run a recreational league? across town, what is being successful in that endeavor look like to you? And is that something that you want? Thinking about how we apply our efforts and if we're going to go do something, it's implied that we would want to be good at it or at least get some sort of enjoyment out of it. Even if you don't get enjoyment out of it, you likely will improve at it over time. But you want to establish what the end state of that looks like. And that's important because when you think about applying your maximum effort to, like I said, a job, a career, a sport, do you even want the outcome that is tied to that? So in the military context, let's take a look at choosing the military as a career. To spend 20 plus years, you're either looking at being a senior enlisted leader or an officer of some sort. And you can narrow down the different outcomes of what that could look like. If you're uh, in the Navy, maybe at different levels of command, maybe you go and be the CEO of a ship or a squadron, something like that. You need to consider, is that something that you even actually want? And a great place to find out would be to go and talk to those people. When I think about my own personal thoughts about the military when I was looking at, unfortunately, being biased against the 20-year decision or not after only spending a few short years in, when I looked at what spending 20 years in would look like 
a lot of the quality of life factors that I was really after weren't any better in officers or even senior enlisted. If I spend 20 years, I'm still going to be going on the same deployments that I am going to now. I still will be lacking the same time agency that I crave and desire now. So given that the end state of success is misaligned with what the values and the things that I'm actually after, why would I even spend a minute working on something that is getting me to a goal that I don't even want? And that's not to say that I wouldn't have maybe been successful by staying in the military and apply this to your own circumstance. You can be successful at a lot of things, but coming back to the idea of time being the issue is just because you can doesn't mean you should. And you need to develop a sacredness around your time and really spend it towards things that you're actually trying to achieve because it's very easy to wake up with several years that have gone by and maybe not as much to show for it as you would have liked. The second part of the inputs to decide what we ought to work on are is to trial aggressively. This is something that I say to transitioning vets all the time. Find the fastest and cheapest way to find out if you like something or not. On the career move, you can go and talk to people in the career. Talk to people who have been doing it for one year, five year, 10 years. Ask them what a typical day looks like. Is that something that you could hang with? I was really amazed by the amount of people that I talked to on a veteran mentoring platform that were interested in becoming a data analyst who didn't want to spend time behind a computer screen all day. Turns out it takes about eight to 10 hours of being behind a computer screen all day to do well in this career field. So you should be able to instantly rule that out. Taking this out of the career context, you can apply this to a lot of different life stuff as well. If you think of your desires in terms of uh, tastes or material possessions, if you really like the idea of the expensive sports car that costs a million dollars, why not go rent the car for the weekend and see if you like it? Do you enjoy it? Is it fun? Is it everything that you thought it would be? I think that there's a lot of things that we find out by trialing stuff and figuring out if it's for us or not. Because when you, a lot of times it's easy for us to get caught up in this planning and this desiring stage where we're like, okay, this is where I'm trying to get to. But even a taste of that actually doesn't even align with the things that we actually want and think are important. Some honest effort on the forefront of ensuring that you're pursuing a goal that is in line with that and finding out, just get a taste of something. And like I said, on the career field, you can talk to people. If it's a, something material, go try it. Find a cheap way to do it, whether it's renting the car, maybe you go rent a really luxurious home, whatever it is. My guess would be that more quote unquote desires, especially on the material front are very disconnected from what we actually think is important. And there's going to be a whole long list of things that you discover by trialing it that you find out that it's maybe not worth the effort. And so you just inherently saved yourself a bunch of time. I felt like I said in the car example, if I'm going after this million dollar car, I go rent it for the weekend and the whole weekend I'm super nervous about, oh, I'm dinging it and driving it everywhere. A rock chip came on the freeway. Like I'm freaking out the whole time and just hyper fixated on keeping it nice and protecting it. Probably not for me. That's probably not a realistic thing if I'm going to feel that way about driving the car. On the flip side, maybe it's everything that you want it to be. And it's awesome. And you love the rush and the thrill of driving the fast car and the way that people look at you, then that's probably a good sign that it's an okay goal. And you can apply this to everything. These are very like kind of low level examples, but some things to think about when it comes to your life and career as you make these big decisions, especially when you're early on, trial aggressively. When I think about the successful people who have come on the podcast, they have been extremely willing to experiment, ready to try new things, ready to fail, ready to quit their nine to five and take swings on business, write a book, teaching a class, doing the thing. 
reaching that desired goal and state requires aggressive experimentation. And I think that would be easy to think that these are opportunities to fail. Maybe you go and try and start up a new business and it doesn't go anywhere. Is that really failing? Imagine that you really love playing basketball, but you're just really bad at it. And this would actually probably put, I would put myself in this category, enjoy playing it, but I'm really not that great at it. Just because you aren't good at it, does that mean you don't pursue it? Of course not. Do I just not play basketball because I'm bad at it, but I really enjoy it? It just, it doesn't work that way. If you get enjoyment from it, you should be pursuing it. And I think you can run these little trials and experiments to figure those things out. When I say choose the game that you want to win at, winning has multiple definitions. And so it's important to define what you're looking to do. Are you pursuing something for enjoyment? Is it something that there's a lot riding on the line in terms of your career or business? Like all, each of those things are factors that determine what you can trial and experiment with. And talking about determining what success is raises the question of what you need to do if you don't know what winning is or just trying to figure that out. Troy Peterson had a really good thought on this. He said, you should always optimize for learning and personal growth before money. A quote that he had that fit in well with this, he said, find somewhere where you will align with the work and don't chase compensation. And so this is important because if you don't know what your end state is, it's okay, but you need to put yourself in a position where you're trialing aggressively and you're learning fast. The reason this is important is because if you know off the bat that you don't like something, like I was saying earlier, you're naturally not going to invest yourself in the work and you're going to be working at a company or in a position where you're committed to not performing because you don't like it. You're not going to apply yourself to something that you don't naturally enjoy. And so by maybe working in a place or starting a new hobby that aligns with those interests, you're able to apply yourself. You're able to try and quote unquote fail, basically just another word for grow and, and learn quickly. And if you're not in a position where you can't feel the effects of those and you're not like running into roadblocks and failing and having to get up and try new things again, you're not growing and you're hurting your long-term development by doing that. It's easy to make this mistake, especially when it comes to coming, talking about careers, because it's very easy to quantify a huge pay increase at a job that may not align with your own personal interests and much more difficult to quantify how much you actually like doing the job. So be sure to consider that when you're thinking about your career and the things that you spend your time doing. One of the ways that we can do this is by increasing the luck surface area that we have. And this is an idea that Brendan Aronson brought to the conversation. Uh, a great book that covers this is the Almanac of Nabal Ravikant. He talks about the four different types of luck and a couple other ways that we can pursue those. But essentially by spreading ourselves out, trying a bunch of things, especially early in the career, trying aggressively new industries, new careers, new people, you increase your likelihood of, quote, getting lucky and maybe finding the thing, the career, the person that makes the difference for you to move into the next stage. The third lesson that I want to talk about is the fact that we are too insulated from the impacts of our decisions. A very early episode with Josh Steinman demonstrated this powerful concept to me. A quote to get us going from him. He said, if I care about something, I'm not going to opine on it as a major activity. I'm going to find a place where I can try and start making decisions and get real feedback. Most of the things that I try and do are designed to give me insight into the nature of what's true. So let's unpack that a little bit. Proximity to consequences will determine your motivation to make change. 
Think of a little kid touching a hot stove for the first time. All it takes is once to know that it hurts and you're not going to do that again. As an adult, we're much more insulated from the impacts of those decisions. There's all these emotional factors. It's not just this black and white thing. And all of these factors, they actually dull the consequences of our actions and, in my opinion, impair our long-term decision-making. A great example of this is drinking culture. You go out for a heavy night of drinking on the town, wake up in complete agony the next day. You walk 10 miles from all the bars across town, you puked in the Uber, your belly feels like it's going to explode because you ate all this Taco Bell on the way home. Like you're in really bad shape. Maybe you lost your phone. Like it, it just keeps getting worse. Like you feel physically terrible. And that kind of leads to phrases like, oh, I'm never drinking again. And then the next night or the next weekend rolls around and here we are. The logic of that, there, there just isn't. There, it's non-existent. There is no logic that says, hey, I, doing this activity made me feel this certain way. I should go do it again. The perceived fun that we are having in an inebriated state actually impairs our decision making and like understanding of what is a good time, certainly what's good for our body and definitely who our friends are. In the career context, the military's hierarchy, recruiting balance, and the concept of punishment within the NJP structure insulates you, I think. It would take me three hands to count on how many people I know that got DUIs while they were in, but it was swept under the rug as they have manning issues or they were in a critical MOS and somehow leadership's image might be impaired because of that. What is that about? What is that teaching? You can actually apply this in not as serious of an environment as talking about a DUI as well, but maybe how work gets completed at your job, deadlines. I felt like this at a prior job, regardless of how badly I screwed up, it would still be okay. And that's a major red flag. If you're trying to grow and improve and are serious about your self-development, which if you're listening to this podcast, I hope that would imply that's a red flag for you. If you feel like, oh, I can do no wrong, that's not good. You're not in a good place where you're being challenged for growth. When I think about the DUI or any of these instances or examples, I question what the lesson that's being taught here is. Not only is the organization's reputation damaged for that, like in the military, that is an impedance of like good discipline, really. But also like in a professional context as well, we're impairing the values and define the mandates that are set out. Somebody does this, then this is the outcome. If you don't turn your work in on time, this is what happens as a result of that. And if you don't feel the consequence, then it, it creates this negative feedback loop, which it reinforces all the wrong lessons. The takeaway here is that whether or not you know it, you're making decisions every single day that have consequences and your subconscious is being trained on those consequences. We need to be aware of that and strive to hear and get feedback so that we can be better because nobody is stopping and saying, hey, I want to make sure that you've learned your lesson here about this. That's something that we need to be looking out for, our own development. Are we learning the right lessons? Are we being insulated from the consequences of our actions? When you're insulated from those outcomes, you can't improve and psychologically will defer take, taking accountability or responsibility for things that are driven by you. We all have that one friend or know of a person at work that thinks that nothing is their fault. That person probably has had a lifetime of being insulated from their consequences. Another quote to round off this topic from Josh, he said, most people don't want to admit that they're in control of their own destiny to some significant degree, and the outcomes of their choices are manifesting reality itself. I've been reading Extreme Ownership by Jocko, and the resounding theme, if you didn't deduce from the title, is taking responsibility for outcomes, and not just the, oh yeah, I'm a part of this, or oh yeah, that was me, like serious ownership. This is my fault. Even when you weren't even maybe 
even tangentially involved. If you have people below you that didn't perform, that means that you didn't train them right. If you didn't accomplish something, you probably didn't put in the work for that. A couple quotes from Jocko on this. It's not what you preach, it's what you tolerate. And also, instead of letting the situation dictate our decisions, we must dictate the situation. By taking ownership of all outcomes, we feel responsible and therefore will do something because of it. And I think that's really what he's getting at is it's not just, oh, we need to, to jump in front of a bullet on everything. You do, but he's trying to get you to understand that there is a sense of responsibility that you need to take so that you then do something differently with that. We need to feel the weight of those consequences as Josh is talking about. It's easy to say I'm not responsible or make excuses for things supposedly beyond your control. Not everything is in your control, but it's far better to over-index on responsibility and manage taking things off your shoulders than it is to spend your life pointing the finger at other people and circumstances for why you can't do something. The fourth topic you want to get into is becoming and being a man or woman of action. This is what we do in response to all of the things that we've been talking about. This is how you combat your lack of purpose. This is how you combat your insulation from decisions. You act. Most people are all talk, even in the military. It's funny, the military breeds this high and mighty attitude about being in the 1% and people throw in the top 1%. I can assure you it's not the top 1%. Just because you are in 1% of the population that does something doesn't necessarily mean it is the top decile of that population. I would even argue that the distribution of talent in the military is not even a standard distribution for all you statistics folks. It's more of an exponential function where there are a very few good people and then it drops off precipitously. And there's a lot of things that kind of lead into that lack of consequence and lack of connection to action, like I was just talking about. But there's some other stuff too. The military, in some ways, is a warm bed for people. You get 30 days a year of leave, federal holidays off, a paycheck every two weeks. And a lot of times, that is not the reality of what working a traditional job on the outside is. There's the deployment factor, there's duty, there's these very difficult things that get interwoven into that. But it's a rude awakening to get out of the service and you got to work your butt off. Don't get me started on paying for healthcare. Like it, seeing that huge deduction every couple of weeks really sucks. I say this not to degrade people that are in the military or anybody who has served before, but what I'm speaking to is the fact that it's that separates you and not who you are, what you wear on your chest, any kind of combat ribbon that you've got. That means nothing. It's what you do that determines who you are. This unfortunately extends a lot to the veteran space as well. I've interacted with a bunch of people since starting the podcast that supposedly quote unquote help veterans or serve veterans in some way. Maybe it's through starting a nonprofit or whatever it may be. And my answer or question to them is always the same is what, tell me about that. Let's, let me hear about it. Let me hear about your impact and what you're doing. And usually the response is not great. It's either nothing or becomes an excuse of why they haven't done this one thing for them. It's, they aren't people of action. If you want to achieve things, you have to do things. It's not enough to just show up every day. And which is what most jobs require, just you to show up. It's about going above and beyond. And this isn't just about career success. It's about hobbies. It's about this podcast for me. It's things that require the bare minimum and then some, and then a little bit more too. This isn't my job to do this podcast, but it's something that I find time to do because it's important and I'm passionate about it. If you want to achieve things that are outside of your career, that's 
that's freaking extra, man. That's the guacamole at Chipotle. You're paying extra for that. You work nine to five and then you got to work five to nine on top of that, on that side project or that passion project to pursue that interest. And a lot of people talk about doing those things. And I want you to be a person that does them for you and is willing to walk the walk. There are a few traps that I see people fall into when it comes to this. The excuse trap, basically, I deserve something because of XX reason. There's the time trap of, oh, I don't have enough time to do this specific thing. And then there's the planning trap, which is, oh, I need to plan out and plot out this huge uh, course for success about how I'm going to get something. And, and each of those is not good. First of all, you don't deserve anything on the excuse trap. First off, like we don't deserve anything. Like you aren't given things just because you think that you ought to be or some illusion of that you are owed something. I think that is a very toxic belief system that a lot of people in my age demographic and, and younger to believe that somehow we're owed something. And that is just a toxic way to never actually achieve or accomplish anything. There's the time trap. You've got the same 24 hours in a day that everybody else does. How you use it and how you utilize it is up to you. You've got the time and the money for what's important to you. Full stop. And the last one, the planning trap. So one that I really struggle with is you can sit around and make plans for stuff for the rest of your life, but they won't come to fruition unless you act on them. The reason that acting is so important is because it actually gets you closer to the decision-making and it gets you closer to the impacts of those decisions as Josh was talking about. And also reveals the next step to you. A lot of times if we're trying to go from A to Z, People are worried about C rather than they need to do A and then B comes into focus. You can say, hey, here's where I am. Here's where I'm trying to get to. That's fine. But you actually need to start down the path, which will reveal itself to you over time. Another thing that being a man or woman of action will do for you is give you confidence in your ability to execute and the knowledge of the playing field that you're on. One of my favorite quotes from Alex Ramosi, you don't gain confidence by shouting affirmations in the mirror, but by having a stack of undeniable proof that you are who you say you are. When you meet someone new, the first things that they are going to want to know is who you are and what you've done. You might be able to tell somebody that you have the aspirations or this is what I'm aiming to do, but it won't be long before they realize whether or not you've actually made progress on that or not. And you will instantly be classified in their head as somebody who is not a person of action. And that is not the people that we want to be. People who keep talking about what they will do are overly reliant on people's short-term memory, not to expose them for being people who don't walk the walk. So what do you do about that? You've got a big goal, something you want to accomplish and you want to move on it, but the pressure or the circumstances or what have you are preventing you from doing that. One of the things that's been helpful to me is to break the goal down into smaller and smaller pieces until the action or the smaller term goal is achievable based on what you know and the constraints that you have. And this for me, I sometimes I, like I said, to get stuck in the planning phase. And so this is an exercise I've had to do a ton where, hey, I've got a big goal. Maybe I want to start an award-winning podcast. And to do that, I need to say, okay, I need to create this amount of episodes, which is consistent with all of the other great podcasts out there. And then I can, well, that's a little bit far off. What, how else can I get to that? And what I think is helpful is to take that long-term goal and to break it into goals small enough that are consistent with that time horizon. And, and if you're not accomplishing something, that means the goal is too big. So if you create a short-term goal that requires a month of time and the month goes by and you find yourself not having done it or moved on it, that means it's probably too big. Maybe you need to move it down to something that is 
needs to happen this week. And that will, and then hold yourself to that and then see, hey, did I make any progress on my week? And I literally had issues where I need to get down into something that will take me 30 seconds to do because I keep putting it off and somehow it's not important enough. And so what you can do is break those goals down into really small actions that you can take at defined time intervals and then stack those. And that's that stack of undeniable proof. That's that action that we're taking to move our life, our career, our interests, purpose, passion, all of those things moving forward. This is something that really got drilled into me from Hal Fisher and Christian Ruff on the idea of sales. Stop getting caught up thinking about what you're going to do and go and make a sale today. There's a really good quote from Hal. If you're ever, if you never get started, there's no risk. You can sit back and say, I'm working on my thing, but never get anywhere. If you don't act, you run the risk of being a person who is always going to do something, but never did. In episode six, we talked to Caleb Taylor about coming to your hometown and visiting the same bar that you always went to and talking about the war. The military is not the end of your service to the world, but the beginning. That's a responsibility we shouldn't take lightly and requires massive action from us on a daily basis. A few closing thoughts that I've been thinking about that are much less fleshed out than the others, but some things that I think are just as important. Uh, the first is a tweet from a guy named Patrick O'Shaughnessy. He is an investor, a business builder, and several other titles we'll throw in there, but he has a podcast called Invest Like the Best. And one of the things that he talks about a lot and tries to surround himself with people-wise are people who are pursuing their life's work. I'm going to read a tweet that of what his definition of life's work is. He said, a lifelong quest to build something for others that expresses who you are. So let's break that down. Parts of this is the tweet from him. And then the other, I'm going to interject uh, some thoughts. And uh, the first part, a lifelong quest reflects the reality that work isn't about a series of accomplishments, which ultimately ring hollow. Asimov wrote, past glories are poor feeding. Those doing their life's work agree with Kevin Kelly's brilliant maxim, the reward for doing good work is more work and want to spend as much time working as they can in this short life. Everything worth doing is worth doing for its own sake. This idea of a lifelong quest is important because, especially in the military context, people act, oh, I'm going to go do this 20-year commitment or go do this one like defined period of time is that really reflects how short they're thinking in life. And if you are able to uncover your purpose and something that you truly are passionate about, it is something that you will wake up excited to do every day and something that not even five lifetimes you would be able to reach a period of completion, but that's okay. That's the point. It is, as Kevin Kelly says, the reward for good work is more work. You get to keep doing the thing that you love. That is something that's aspirational. The second part of that is to build something for others. This is a reminder that work is about service, making others' lives better. The poet David White wrote, the authentic watermark running through the background of a life's work is an arrival at generosity. Steve Jobs believed this was a central idea too. Life can be much broader once you discover one simple fact, and that is that everything around you that you call life was made by people who are no smarter than you, and you can change it. You can influence it. You can build your own things that other people can use. Once you learn that, you'll never be the same again. The giving in this case is the getting. A lot of times we are out for our own gain, selfish ambition, on a long time horizon, when we're actually pursuing a lifelong quest, there is no world in which that doesn't involve others. Any older person that you've likely met has a strong desire to teach or share their experiences in some way or another with somebody else. And the reason that is because they know that they are no longer in the position to be doing that and, or maybe they've mastered the craft or what have you. The important thing is that other people always get fed into the loop at some point or another. 
And so I think the quicker that you can get to the realization that giving is the getting, I think the better off you'll be. The last part is that expresses who you are, reminds us that it's not sustainable to be something that we aren't. The best work comes from people expressing themselves in a way that embraces what makes them different. The military makes us different, and I don't think that should be ignored. It's my opinion that the military is the cornerstone, a very unique cornerstone, whether people believe it or not, that sets their career trajectory and their life trajectory apart from others. And I think that should be embraced. The second thing that I want to get through here on my personal ramblings is this idea around imposter syndrome, something I've come up a lot in all of the 100 recordings so far, probably showed up in 15 to 20% of the episodes in some fashion. It's a common mm -hmm. phrase and something that service members I know feel a lot. If you're unfamiliar with imposter syndrome, it's a condition in which people feel like a fraud or a phony accompanied by doubting their abilities and reflects on the underlying lack of confidence in what they're doing. You hear this from people going into new roles. You hear from service members getting out, especially in that transition phase. You hear it all the time. And in my opinion, if you're listening to this podcast and you feel imposter syndrome, I say, good, you are an imposter. If you're doing things that are beyond your skill set, good, keep going. If you're in an environment that you don't feel comfortable in, maybe you're the dumbest person in the room, good. You're right where you should be. Imposter syndrome to me is something that's serious and shouldn't be discounted, but I think is reflective of the fact that we are applying ourselves to something that's difficult. It is something that we are trying a new thing or maybe put in an area of responsibility that we weren't expecting or don't know anything about. And it's our job to do the best with what we have and to figure it out as we go. There's an old great quote, I believe it is, that says something to the effect of, you don't rise to the occasion, you fall to the level of your training. Everything here in this discussion today is about training and why I think the military takes training so seriously. Ultimately, how you feel about something, i.e. your imposter syndrome, how you, your perceived lack of confidence or your perceived inability to do something is not important. Your ability to execute and take massive action towards executing that goal is what is important. And the opposite of the imposter syndrome, I think, is probably having a crazy ego or a very high ego. To quote Don Reynolds, check the ego. Surround yourself with people that make what you do looks like child's play. Be the dumbest person in the room. Show up every day and give the entirety of your effort and repeat until forever. Being an imposter is the prince of greatness. And so be imposters we shall. The last bit that I want to get into is a little bit of stoicism for you. This comes from Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Book three, section four. It's a book that I read and reference pretty regularly. And I think that if you haven't read it, it's a worthwhile read. But I'm going to read the whole section to you and we can unpack. Don't waste the rest of your time here worrying about other people unless it affects the common good. It will keep you from doing anything useful. You'll be too preoccupied with what so-and-so is doing and why and what they're saying and what they're thinking and what they're up to and all the other things that throw you off and keep you from focusing on your own mind. You need to avoid certain things in your train of thought, everything random, everything irrelevant, and certainly everything self-important and malicious. You need to get used to winnowing your thoughts so that if someone says, what are you thinking about? You can respond at once and truthfully that you are thinking this or thinking that. And it would be obvious at once from your answer that your thoughts were straightforward and considerate once. The thoughts of an unselfish person, one unconcerned with pleasure and with self, sensual indulgence generally, with squabbling, with slander and envy, or anything else you'd be ashamed to be caught thinking. Someone like that, someone who refuses to put off joining the elect, is a kind of priest, a servant of the gods, in touch with what is within him, 
and what keeps a person undefiled by pleasures, invulnerable to pain, untouched by arrogance, unaffected by meanness, an athlete in the greatest of all contests, the struggle not to be overwhelmed by anything that happens. With what leaves us died indelibly by justice, welcoming wholeheartedly whatever comes, whatever we're assigned, not worrying too often or with any selfish motive about what other people say or do or think. He does only what is his to do and considers constantly what the world has in store for him, doing his best and trusting that all is for the best, for we carry our fate with us and it carries us. He keeps in mind that all rational things are related and that to care for all human beings is part of being human, which doesn't mean we have to share their opinions. We should listen only to those whose lives conform to nature and the others. He bears in mind what sort of people they are both at home and abroad and by night as well as day and who they spend their time with. And he cares nothing for their praise, men who can't even meet their own standards. If that doesn't sum up all of the meat of what we talked about today, these awesome lessons from 90 some odd awesome veterans, I'm not sure what does. Some of the, the best advice in the world stands the test of time pretty well. I feel incredibly blessed to be on this podcast journey. I want to give a special thank you and shout out to every guest that's come on. I can't list all 90 some odd, but thank you. If you that's you and you're listening, I really appreciate you being willing to entertain my antics. Want to give a thank you to Matt Russell and Dom Cook over at Colossus for the work that they're putting into making media an awesome podcast if you're a media builder. The inspiration that they are to people that they come into contact and with and the encouragement that they've given me as I pursue this. To Chris Williamson of Modern Wisdom. Man, this guy, he just, he gets it. I, I really enjoy listening to his thoughts. I appreciate how public he is about his learning, what he doesn't know about, and his aggressive commitment to continue to be better in life, in business, in everything. He has openly shared his journey of the podcasting and it's a true inspiration to me. And so for that, I'm particularly grateful. And the last thank you is to you listening to this. If you've been here since the beginning, or maybe this is your first episode, I appreciate you. While I will do this with or without the listenership, the people who do listen and reach out to say, hey, this episode meant something to me, that goes a long ways. And I appreciate you coming along the journey with me uh, to learn from today's and history's greatest fits. Talk to you next week.